guys, welcome back to another episode of Strip by Sia, your podcast for strippers, sex workers, and all the fancy naked people. Um, my name is Steph, aka Kimchi, aka Sia, whatever you want to call me. I have many names, many pseudonyms. But today, we are taking a break from the BLM miniseries. A couple of my guests uh, had some scheduling problems, so we're taking a kind of gap week here. And instead, I'm bringing you a bonus episode as I was invited last month in June to speak at Florida State University. I had a lot of people who really wanted to hear the episode. I wasn't sure if I wanted to release it, but I am going to do that for you guys now. And I hope you guys find it really interesting. I was invited to speak at Florida State University. Shout out to Alicia. Hey, girl. <laughs> in regards uh, to their human sexuality class, with specific regard in terms of the lens of social work, counseling, and therapy. So I hope if if you are uh, an educator in that field or you perceive to be one day, I hope that you, you guys would find this talk to be particularly interesting. I basically made it on the amount of questions that they had sent in to me prior to my talk. So... Yeah, it's really such an honor to have spoken with the class, so I am so excited to share this. It is largely unedited, and by largely, I mean it's unedited, so I am just going to go through it with it and let you guys listen in. And there, of course, there's a bunch of different Q&A at the end that some students had more curiosities on, so I went ahead and answered that. But yeah, without further ado, here is my guest lecture at Florida State University for their class of human sexuality on therapy, social work, and counseling. And also, wait, (laughs) before I let you go, we are also, we, we as in me, I'm going to be launching season two of Strip by Sia. That's going to be on August 2nd. So August 2nd, just two weeks from now. Stay tuned. We're going to be launching it off with a very fun guest of mine who is just across the big pond called the Pacific Ocean, but I won't reveal anything other than that, but you guys will just have to tune in and and keep listening. So yeah, tune in. Let me know what you guys think. Let me know your thoughts on the episode and we'll catch you guys later. Bye. Yeah. Anyway. So I, I am glad that my friends are on here and we are very excited to have Steph as our um, special guest and to just kind of give you some background um, on how this even happened. I've been teaching this class for three years and the idea of sex work and and the, everything we just talked about um, is something that not only can be controversial, but people want to know more about, right? So I, when you're immersed into a topic. Um, and you all will know what I'm talking about. There's a population that you want to work with. There's a certain topic that you want to use for social work or focus on in your, in your therapy, um, or your counseling. And that's kind of, you immerse yourself in that. And then Google and big brother and everything pop up different, different links for you to look at. And you're like, always, involved in it, or at least that's how it is for me with human sexuality. So I follow all different kinds of podcasts and I figured, you know what, I'm just going to randomly reach out to somebody who I don't know. I mean, other than listening to their podcast and see if somebody would like to speak to our class, because I think it's very important to get different perspectives and different worldviews. Um, and that are maybe different than what we have coming into this course. So I randomly emailed Steph and she actually wrote back and didn't ignore me, which I thought was really cool. Um, and here we are today. So Steph, are you on the call already? I am. Yeah. Can you hear me? Hey, can you hear me? Not yet. Hey, I am. Hi. Oh, Hey. Hi. (laughs) How are you? I guess I can start my video. Good. Thank you so much for joining us. You're so welcome. Hi. It's so nice to meet you finally. I mean, virtually meet you, but this is great. Yeah. Yeah. We are so excited. And I know this is um, our Florida State Human Sexuality class. Um, Just to give you an overview, 
Some of them are undergrad social work uh, majors. Some of them are graduate social work majors and others do art therapy, um, mental health counseling. I'm sure I'm forgetting some, but the other um, disciplines are required to take this course. Social work, just you can take it if you want to. Um, So that's who we have from Tallahassee, Florida. Um, And we're really excited to have you. I know that I've sent you over some questions. And did you have like a PowerPoint that you want to share? I can no, no. Link it up on your screen. I'm good. I'm going to do informal. (laughs) And yeah, I hope we have enough time to go over everything because me too. (laughs) There's a lot of great questions there. So, (laughs) so kind of, um, mm -hmm, sorry, keep going. Oh, I was going to say just to everybody, if you have other questions that come up rather than like raising your hand, just type them into the chat box and we'll go back and address them if we can. We only have till 315. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and there's okay. a lot All of right. questions. I'm it over to you, Steph. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Alicia and Florida State U for having me. It's an incredible honor. So thank you again. I'm going to do my best <laughs> in trying to tackle everything here. And I have a whole bunch of notes here that I'm probably going to try to read off of a little bit too. So I don't get too sidetracked <laughs> as I do my podcast sometime. But um, yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you guys today about sex work in both Canada because I am based in Canada as well as the USA in the lens of social work and therapy, basically with the hopes of that you guys will have a better understanding of what it's like to work with sex workers and understand their struggles as well. You know, they might be future clients of yours. So hopefully this will be very, very useful for you guys. Um, Again, once again, thanks for all the great questions. I basically have designed this talk in terms of like all the questions you guys have given me and I've kind of formulated the talk based on that. So I pretty much answered all the questions here. If there's anything that you want to discuss after, I'm hoping that there will be enough time at the end of class. So we will discuss that at the very end. But um, enough about the logistics. Let's kind of get into things. So my name is Steph. I am the host of the podcast, Strip by Sia. Sia being my last name, um, it's basically your podcast for strippers, sex workers, and all the naked people in between. So I myself am an exotic dancer. I am also a former sugar baby, a digital content creator, and I'm based in Vancouver, British Columbia, which is on the west coast side of Canada, just above Seattle. And I basically created this podcast um, to help destigmatize the sex industry through storytelling and through the lived experiences of sex workers. So that's kind of a little backstory of that. Um, but basically, I created the podcast because I found that there was a need for it. Um, there are a lot of, if you didn't know, there are actually a lot of stripper-driven podcasts out there available. There are hundreds of thousands of podcasts. But um they were mostly focused on like how to make money and up your hustle game. But for me, I really wanted to create a podcast where you can have an opportunity to learn. Um, I myself am a really big, avid podcast listener. I'm a huge podcast junkie and nerd. But for me, it was a bucket list on my goal for last year. And it was something that I really wanted to do and accomplish in 2019. But I really wanted to fill the void and also educate. That's I don't know, I'm pretty nerdy about that stuff and wanting to teach people, especially with a topic such as sex work, it's it's a bit taboo. And there's a lot of stigma, a lot of shame that comes with it. So I really wanted to tackle that subject. So um, a little bit of backstory here. So I started the podcast um, because there was a lot of questions like, how do you start the podcast? What was your inspiration and stuff like that? So I started the podcast when I was working at a local strip club. I was dancing there. I was booked for the week and I was there watching some performers and uh, one of my clients was like, hey, like this stripper scene here in British Columbia, like it's pretty amazing. And I'm just like, stripper scene? What do you mean by stripper scene? And he's like, oh, well, like you guys are all great. You guys are all models and stuff. I'm like, models? I'm not really sure about that. But um, basically, he was explaining to me like, oh, there's like a huge influence like status for strippers here, especially in BC. If you guys, I don't know if you guys follow any strippers on Instagram or anything like that, but the ones in BC and, and Canada, especially in the West Coast, it's uh, 
pretty, we have like a, a lot of influence there, which is really, really interesting to me. And that's not something that I had realized until he had said that to me. So I was like, oh, wow, that's a really interesting statement. And a light bulb just went in my head and I was like, okay, I don't know what this means, but I'm going to kind of roll with it and think about it a little bit. And then a month later, basically, I, st I started my podcast, not knowing what to do. I don't have any background in podcasting or anything like that, but I do like talking. So that worked out for me. <laughs> so I've been, I've been podcasting for almost a year now, and I've had the privilege of meeting so many great outperformers and individuals, sex workers, covering a lot of topics in relation to all forms of sex work. So the tagline for my co my podcast covers strippers, sex workers, and all the naked people in between. And it started off, and it still kind of is very stripper heavy, just because that is the line of work that I do. But as I've gone on, I have definitely branched off to include lots of different forms of sex work as well. And with new episodes every Sunday, I've already completed season one and have produced a number of bonus episodes as well and mini-series to stay current, including um, a whole mini-series on COVID-19, which is ending next week, and then we're going to go into Black Lives Matters because those topics are very, very, very important to us um, as well as in the sex work community. So um, again, we cover a myriad of topics, mainly to provide a cohesive outlook on all facets of sex work anywhere from the client to various types of sex work, audience members, strip club owners, different stages of sex work, beginning rest retirement and so on. So whew, let's get into <laughs> how did I get involved into sex work? Because there were a lot of questions like, how did you get started? Why, why do you want to do it? Why is it something that you want to continue working in? So but before we dive into things, I wanted to find what sex work is. So to me, sex work is any kind of sexual act or sexualized performance in exchange for money or for influence. And there are so many different kinds of sex work available. So and it goes just it goes beyond just stripping, escorting the typical things you hear about in the media, prostitution. There's also camming, there's porn, there's fetish work, there's BDSM. There's so many things. There's so many online hustles nowadays. There's like sex chatting. It's a new thing. So there's a lot of things going on and it's, it's a big, big, big topic to uncover. So um, for me, my origins in sex work actually started with being a sugar baby back during my undergrad. So back in the college days, many, many, many years ago, um, my old roommate, I had just gone out of a big breakup and she's like, you know, you should start dating again. My friend, uh, she started doing this website called Seeking Arrangement and uh, you should you should definitely do it. You like old dudes. <laughs> you could get paid for it. And I was like, okay, getting paid for dating. That sounds great. Like, sure, uh, sign me up. What do I do? And I didn't really, I don't think I really understood what I was getting myself into. For me, I just thought, going out on dates and getting paid. That sounds great. But then I didn't really understand the the sex aspect of it. I didn't know that sex was involved in it. I guess I was really naive going into it. This is many, many years ago. Um, but I, I didn't understand that fully. So I, if you guys didn't know what Seeking Arrangement is, uh, Seeking Arrangement is a website for meeting affluent men to seek a mutually beneficial arrangement. And arrangements can, can they, they vary really, but basically in exchange for a sex, you can get a monthly allowance, you can get vacations, you can get Chanel bags or Christian Louboutin shoes or whatever it is you want, paying your rent, whatever you want to allocate that money is, is, is really up to you. But in case you guys didn't know what that was. So, um, but again, not really knowing that sex work was involved with that, but it was something I, I kept doing. I was really young. Um, and of course, Seeking Arrangement does advertise a lot too. Like, oh, get a premium account if you use your college email address. And <laughs> so there's, there's a lot of draws to that too. So I was like, okay, like um, this sounds like something really interesting to me. So I began going on a number of dates, like a number of trips, like really living the high life and uh, just going deeper and deeper into the sugar bowl. And I did that for about four years and I pretty much stopped actively going on dates in 2017 because I wanted to start adulting and, you know, try to find an actual relationship that I can, 
you know, build upon. So uh, around that time, near the end of my sugaring chapter, I would say I started pole dancing. So basically, I'd always wanted to try pole dancing. It was something that was really interesting to me in terms of fitness. I had come from a sports background and I wanted to try something new. It was across the street from the office that I was working in. And I was like, okay, I'm going to just give this a try. And I was kind of preparing for a competition that I had entered. And basically, my friend told me about, hey, like, I know what's going to get rid of your nerves. Why don't you try an amateur night contest? And I was like, what's an amateur contest? What does that, what does that even mean? So again, naive again. This is years, years ago as well. And basically, um, I didn't understand, again, that you had to get full nude, at least the ones here in Vancouver, you had to get full nude. And it was my first time stripping. So nerves are flowing. I'm not sure what's going on. I'm doing the same weird beginner trick that I've <laughs> learned in class and stuff. And basically, I kept going back to the amateur nights. I was really, really intrigued about it. And But that was also really reserved in terms of I had my own reservations about stripping. I was also, you know, I grew up Catholic, went to private Catholic school. You're not supposed to do this. Um, Again, a lot of shame, a lot of stigma going into it. But there was a rush that I really enjoyed. I loved the performative aspect of pole dancing, the strengthening and the, the tricks that you can do as well, and also the arts that you can create with it. So it was something that I kept doing, but I, no matter how many times I got offered a job at the clubs, I was like, I'm not going to do this full time. I do not want to do this full time. I have an office job. I have dignity, quote unquote dignity. I do not want to do this. But then I was like, okay, like I was finally convinced <laughs> to finally take the plunge. Um, basically in BC, some logistics here too. In BC, to be a stage dancer, you have to be um, kind of represented by an agency in order for you to dance on, on stage. And that's throughout British Columbia and stuff too. So you can also freelance as well. So you can do VIP, you could work the floor, play a, uh, pay a floor fee and strip that way. You can do that. But I wanted to go on stage because I really wanted to create art. And also it was my passion. So basically the agency granted me uh, an exception and was like, okay, we'll allow you to dance downtown clubs and you don't have to travel and stuff like that. So that's pretty much how I started stripping. And then of course that has grown now to the whole online kind of sex work, especially with COVID, um, doing um, paid subscription services such as OnlyFans or camming and stuff like that, which I do as well. So that's <laughs> me in a nutshell, kind of big nutshell. I really want to tell my story in terms of you guys trying to understand where I come from. And also in Canada, it's a little bit different than the States as well. So, so that is enough about me. But um yeah, stripping logistics, it's it's really it's really fun to me. It's something I really enjoy. It's something that I fully chose to do and love to do as well. So I really want to emphasize that. And somebody had a question about, um, are you considered independent contractors or employed? Just to answer your question here, you are considered an independent contractor um, and you are considered as self-employed. So, um, but yeah, there, there's usually a common misconception amongst sex workers um, that there must, you know, they must have come from an abusive past or perhaps they were coerced into it. Um, again, for myself personally, it's definitely something that I've chosen and I don't want to dismiss that there are people that have been forced into it as well. I, I definitely want to name that and make that statement as well. So, but unfortunately, um, this misconception is drawn from the stereotype that has been per perpetuated through the media, which isn't always indicative to all sex workers. So I just want to let you guys know about that, but I'm sure you guys already know about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, there, there is a lot of, wow, big topic here. So big, big similarities between Canada and the U.S. in terms of legalities around sex work and its limitations. There's a lot of questions here in regards to that. So thank you for that. I'm going to do my best in talking about the legalities based here in Canada and also drawing the parallels between 
um, what you guys have in the USA. So correct me if I'm wrong in terms of the American uh, system, but um, in Canada, it is legal to sell sexual services. However, the laws around it make it really, really impossible for sex workers to thrive, as I'm sure you guys have the same same experiences or similar experiences here in the USA. So in Canada, um, we do have uh, a piece of law called Bill 36, and that criminalizes the purchase of sex, but decriminalizes its sale. So it forbids negotiating sexual services in certain public places, like schools, for example, financially benefiting off the sale of someone's sexual services or knowing knowingly advertising sexual service. It's it's illegal. So this bill was introduced in 2014 by the conservative government. Um, again, it's more of like a right-wing kind of government as well. So um, in a ruling that was deemed unconstitutional. And to me, it, it is definitely problematic in so many ways and does not protect sex workers at all. So it makes it difficult for sex workers to negotiate their terms of service safely. It makes advertising virtually impossible for them. Um, under this bill, sex workers cannot communicate their services through third parties either. So if you're represented by an escort agency or if you work independently, if you lack resources, it makes it incredibly difficult and illegal for you to communicate that. So it makes it illegal to live on the material benefits of sex work. It also prohibits brothels to operate. So as you can see, there's just so many different layers here, so many different problems that stem from this. And it definitely does a lot more harm than good. And luckily, I mean, there are groups working to abolish the bill, but again, nothing has been done yet. And now we have a liberal, liberal government here in Canada still making strides, but I have personally not seen any, any progress on that, unfortunately. So I would say that there's definitely a parallel between Canada and the USA in terms of how they are dealing and treating sex workers. So I'm sure you guys are all familiar with FOSTA-SESTA, SESTA-FOSTA, those bills. So if you guys, um, I'm also recording this for my podcast for a bonus episode, but <laughs> for the Canadian people listening to um, Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act and the Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act, FOSTA-SESTA, in the USA, that was introduced in 2018 by the Trump administration, as you guys are all familiar with, and efforts to combat sex trafficking online, and mainly targeting online personal sites like Backpage, Craigslist, stuff like that. So it is, again, like the Bill 36 in Canada, it is detrimental then it is helpful as it conflates both consensual and non-consensual sex workers with no differentiation between various kinds of sex work. And to me, this is problematic um, as it takes away their storefronts, you know, means of advertising. Sex workers are finding themselves in riskier situations where they have no ability to filter and you lose so much protection that way. Um, it forces them into riskier situations, which can you know, it, it doesn't protect them at all. It can leave them in abusive situations. Um, in Canada here, there were lots of murders that happened too to a lot of street sex workers that happened in the downtown east side. So that's another example of it too. That happened before, but it's an example of what could happen. So it, it I mean, the law makes it easier to locate sex traffic traffickers, but it also makes it challenging to prosecute them. So there, there are a lot of problems with this. I don't agree with any of these bills at all as a sex worker. I mean, I don't, I don't personally engage in prostitution or escorting, but for friends that do, like not having that protection leaves you at risk, which is, it, it can be really scary and does nothing to support them at all. So there was also another question uh, that somebody sent in as well. Um, a question about the U.S. versus the Canadian sex trade, which is a really, really, really big topic. I just don't know if I have a lot of time to discuss that. Um, but the question was, what, what is your impression of the U.S. sex trade and what would it take to be more like Canada? So again, going back to that parallel and being more like Canada, again, sex trafficking, human trafficking is prevalent 
it's pre- pre- prevalent. I cannot speak today. <laughs> prevalent in Canada as well. So um, there, it's, it's a really, really heavy topic. Um, unfortunately, it is, it is very, very prevalent in Canada. The highest rate being in Nova Scotia, in Nova Scotia, which is on the east coast of Canada with a rate of 2.1 victims every 100,000 people. I'm not sure what the rate is for the states, but um, the Canadian government has allocated about $75 million in funding for initiatives to combat sex trafficking in 2018 to aid in victim support um, and resources as well. So not sure how this would compare to the U.S., but um, it is a broad topic that I don't think we fully have time to dive in in full detail in this lecture, unfortunately. Um, But I actually will be addressing it in season two of the podcast as I'm hoping to get someone in my network who works for the UN to speak on this as well, who actually works in the sex trafficking department. So fingers crossed. (laughs) But on that same note, I want to go into the safety measures and protocols because there were a lot of questions on that as well in terms of like, how do you keep yourself safe? What kind of measures are in place to protect you as a sex worker? So what needs to be done in order to protect us? So again, laws need to be changed. I was kind of ranting a couple of minutes ago about that. I definitely need to recognize sex work as a legitimized profession. Um, and for workers in this industry to be fully operational from a legal standpoint. So Again, our current laws actually put sex workers in more danger by removing sites like Backpage and Classifieds or Craigslist types ads. It forces workers, specifically escorts and prostitutes or street sex workers into potentially dangerous situations where workers cannot advertise or communicate their their terms in safe places. Um, For other types of sex work, um, because again, it's really broad, so things like sugar babying, um, and camming and stuff like that, I do have a lot of tips that I've gone over in my podcast, but I'll also reiterate them here as well as a quick like spark notes version of it. <laughs> um, but be sure to do your own research. Uh, if you are contemplating going into sex work, um, if you do have questions, don't be afraid to reach out or ask. There are so many, so many articles and so many resources nowadays, uh, such as podcasts, you know, Reddit, there's so many blogs and stuff like that out there where where things are available to you so be sure to really really take advantage of that as much as you can uh, especially if you're going into if you're diving into it and you have no no idea you just want to be be safe about that so um also if you're doing like escorting or things like that be sure to conduct a reference track if you can if you can ask for a deposit that also helps filter out some people as well um, when available, conduct a, a background check if you can. Um, say if you're if you're in the sugar baby, a sugar bowl. Um, if you can bring someone with you, and that's pretty common. If you're like, oh hey, can I bring a friend to this? Um, obviously, you can also try to do that. If you're camming or any kind of like um, uh, clip work, you can conceal your background trying to like take out any identifiable marks or you know things in your background and stuff maybe you have a view on your balcony people can identify where you live from that so just be careful with us with stuff like that um again there are so many different resources available to you so my advice would definitely be to utilize them um another big topic that people were curious about was uh, the coronavirus. So how are sex workers dealing with the coronavirus during this pandemic? So that was a huge thing. And that was also a really big inspiration for the mini series that I currently have my podcast, which is ending next week. And I was like, oh, I'll be doing like one to two episodes on this. And then it's fanned out to like eight episodes. So <laughs> it's been really, really interesting to see how we are all coping with this. And I um, as a stripper, um, again, clubs are closed, no public gatherings allowed, unfortunately, but it has really forced a lot of us to move our sex work online. So again, we're seeing a lot of uh, an influx of sites like OnlyFans or Admire Me, um, stuff like that. So if you're not really 
um, familiar with what those types of services are. It's basically a paid subscription service um, where you can pay a small fee and then um, basically pay a small fee and then you can get access to exclusive content such as photos, videos, custom videos, live videos, live, live chats and stuff like that. So um, you, we have definitely moved things online. I'm seeing a huge influx on that. And with that, I'm also seeing a large amount of civilian or, or like slash non-sex workers starting to be involved in sex work as well, just because the unemployment rate is super, super high in both the US and also in Canada as well. I lost my job, so it's been fun. <laughs> but um, it's really interesting seeing a lot of quote unquote normal women being on OnlyFans now. And it's, it's very peculiar because and you'll get a lot of anger too coming from the sex worker community because almost like people are trespassing into our industry um, or intruding our space with the assumption that sex work is easy. And we always hear that. You hear comments like that. Oh, haha. If I ever lose my job, I'll just get in a pole. You know, I'll just take off my clothes. And people think it's super easy. It is not easy. It's a lot of work. I would actually say since things have been closed down, moving things online has actually been more of a full-time job. Constantly filming and making content and engaging with your fans and followers and being in these telegram drops and and all of this is, is just very, very consuming and very tiring. So luckily, strip clubs have, actually have opened up here in Canada, at least in the West Coast. It's still kind of close on the East Coast as the situation is a bit more dire over there. But clubs have been open for the past couple weeks and I have had a guest on this week to talk about um, what those protocols are, how the strip clubs and the owners, how they're dealing with that and what kind of protocols they are taking to ensure the safety of their patrons and also the dancers and the staff that work there as well. So some of those uh, measures that have been in place now is there, there's a huge plexiglass screen around the dance stage. Da uh, dancers are all wearing masks and stuff as well. There's people greeting you at the door instead of just walking right in and stuff too. Of course, there are capacity uh, issues as well. So I think clubs now are running about 50% capacity, just sitting room, no more standing room available as well. So it is really interesting. Obviously, no, no lap dances. I'm not sure when that will be reintroduced, but uh, I have not heard of anything yet. But those rooms are completely closed off for obvious reasons because we don't want to obviously contract the disease or anything like that. So it is um, it is very different. It is very, very different. I have not been booked yet to go back to the club. Um, and there are a lot of people that I've talked about as well in my network that don't really want to go back to work as well. So luckily there has been support from our Canadian government. We have been getting about $2,000 every month. Um, to help us survive and live for a maximum of four months. And then I think today they, there are talks that they actually might extend that as well. So, um, And there was a bit of an issue with that in the beginning too because people were wondering, hey, this doesn't apply to sex workers. But then they actually made um, an adjustment that you can make up $2,000 a month if you're doing other lines of work as well. But obviously that's not enough to live. So um, again... Canadian government has been doing pretty good, I would say, in terms of handling um, the virus and also just supporting us in that way. So, yeah, lots of very, very, very interesting things to do with the coronavirus for sure. Um, there were definitely a couple interesting questions in relation uh, to trauma. So it seems like there is a common misconception that all sex workers have experienced sort of trauma. So to me, that's really interesting. And I feel like that is something that has been perpetuated by the media. And that's something that has definitely, like, I'm not sure if, like, to me, that's more of like a misconception. Of course, I don't want to dismiss that there are people that have gone through significant trauma. Obviously, there are in any industry um, that you encounter. So um, I find but for him, for us and for, for people that I've talked to within my network, 
I feel that this is not the case. Um, I did discuss this topic in terms of overcoming uh, sexual assault on one of my episodes before and found that, yes, some of us have experienced this or have experienced some sort of assault, but I'm not sure if there's a correlation between that and going into sex work. Uh, Again, it might be true for some. It's just an observation. I think there really needs to be more research done on this topic. Um, But for myself, as as a victim of sexual assault and someone that is in sex work right now, I, I wonder if it is a form of validation, maybe it's a form of sexual liberation, maybe it's my own version of taking control of what was previously taken from me. These are things that I have questioned myself and other people that I've talked to have also had a similar experience and are also in sex work. We've also had these conversations too, so perhaps there might be some kind of link. Again, I'm not sure... It's just anecdotal within my own network, but it, it is something that's, I think, worth to research uh, more in the future for sure. There might actually be a link, but who knows? So um, again, good theories overall. Uh, but yeah, again, I think the misconception is that there, it is basically large, uh, largely based on stereotypes and what the media has fed us. So Going into that, I wanted to go into uh, personal relationships. There was an interesting... A really, really particular question here that I received, and it mentioned how can a sex worker profession affect long-term personal relationships? Um, Have you ever seen clients in public outside of sex work? And if so, what have the interactions been like, if any? So that is really interesting. Um, Thank you for the great question. It really depends on the individual, uh, their family, their own personal network. Um, It can be dichotomous. So it can certainly strengthen personal relationships or or kill them off completely. And sometimes there really isn't a middle ground. Um, Generally, sex work is seen as socially unacceptable because, of course, there's a huge stigma with that, tons of shame that comes with that. And again, as I said, with the media perpetuating that it's seen as a taboo thing to do. It's not real. It's not a real job. <laughs> so, again, it's it's a tough question because um, I have had some guests that have come on on the podcast, too, and people, that, again, in my own network that have gone through some awful things with their own family, their family had abandoned them, you know, they received personal or or physical threats, mental deterioration, you know, it's a lot of depression, anxiety can come with that as well. So it just really depends on who you are surrounded with and by. So for me, um, in regards to the second question, have you ever seen any clients in public outside of work? Um, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> I have. So it's it's really, really interesting here. Again, uh, just based in BC, I don't know what it is about the West Coast, but it's almost normalized to kind of go hang out with some of your regulars after, go have a drink with them um, in terms of the strip club. So to me, that's, that's, that to me is acceptable. So, but in terms of when I was a sugar baby, I would not do that because my time is money and I would see that solely in a business and a very, very transactional type of way. And if you want to see me, then you'll have to pay me for my time. So again, there's like a very, very fine line. I I've also like run into past clients in public as well. Um, And it's always been pleasant and professional, but of course discreetness is something that's usually always stressed um, you don't want to out anyone on either side. It's completely disrespectful <laughs> and also very potentially dangerous as well. So obviously don't want to do that. But um, but even um, some of my involvement in sex work has also evolved into actual relationships. So that to me is, is really, really interesting as well. Um, I was living with a past sugar daddy before for a couple years. And then even um, one of my 
past foot fetish clients. Um, he turned in, it turned into relationships. So it's, it's a lot of tiptoeing between the professional and the private. It's a very, very fine line. Um, I can definitely speak on the most recent one, which is my current relationship, which was actually a client before that to me, I, I really struggled with because I wasn't sure what, what kind of things I was supposed to feel to me. It was very, very business-like and to switch gears from transactional to personal was really, really hard for me to overcome that. And um, it definitely took quite a few months to get comfortable and to kind of, again, switch gears on that front. So, um, but um, in, in terms of affecting long-term personal relationships, for me personally, it's been overall positive. Um, coming from a really religious family, it, I think they simply ignore it most of the time. Uh, my mom does not, or like, does not know. She knows, I think, but she's also very like willfully blind to the topic. Um, and she's like, oh, like, what are you doing at the club? I'm like, I work there. And having to explain that um, has not resulted in <laughs> productive conversations <laughs> to say the least but um my dad at least I would say that he he definitely knows what I do and we, we have had a conversation before he's like oh whatever you whatever it is that you do I'm a, like I'm still proud of you so it's nice to kind of have that support I, I'm very lucky and privileged to have that kind of support um again some of my past guests have not been so lucky and they have been been placed in some dire situations and familial ties have been cut so uh, I, I find myself to be really, really, really lucky to be in that position. So, um, again, if if <laughs> if anyone is tiptoeing between that line, um, just a couple tips here. Like, ma just make sure that your partner has a really deep understanding of the line of work that you do, and and is not judgmental and accepting. It's been so long and and so hard for me to be in relationships because people have not accepted what I have done or maybe they have accepted it in the beginning and then they'll flip out on you later about it and then they'll guilt trip you and it's this really awful cycle of mental abuse which is not healthy and oftentimes happens more often than we think so like that has happened to me um with an ex-boyfriend who's like oh I'm so supportive of what you do and I was like okay yeah like come to the club and watch me and then and then we end up breaking up and then he'll view all these profanities and throw all these things in my face and guilt tripping me because of the work that I'm doing is not legitimized. So to me, that's really hurtful, obviously. Um, but again, he wasn't truthful in that. So <laughs> again, a very, very fine line. Just be careful and just um, make sure that they are not judgmental and accepting and that the trust is there because um, like any relationship, it, it's built on trust and I, sometimes I hear these comments about like, oh, like I'm in a couple different groups and this topic comes into conversation very often in terms of like, oh, would you let your your partner go to the strip club without you and stuff like that. And comments like that is, is really, it's really interesting because like, where is the trust in that? You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's our job as strippers to provide entertainment for you and it's very transactional. And we have our own lives too. We have our own relationships too. So it's 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 a really old school way of thinking like, oh my gosh, he's going to take your man or something like that. Conversations like that just seemed really, really outdated to me. So, um, but yeah, I, I want to dive deeper into, um, I guess, the last part of the presentation here because I want to save some room for questions because I see this chat box with <laughs> more and more things coming up. So um, we're going to go into the destigmatization therapy and social work to kind of close out the presentation here. So um, basically what started off as a passion project of mine, it, it really turned out to be something I genuinely love doing. And I knew when I started this project, I really wanted the aim and the mission of the podcast to really center around education and the destigmatization of the sex industry and its professions. So 
Again, I feel it's really outdated and unprogressive to view sex work as unlegitimized. It just, it, it's one of the oldest professions in the book, you know? It's why are, why can't we progress further around this topic? And again, in, in the Pacific Northwest where I live, it's very, very largely liberal and democratic where sex work is, I would say to me, pretty normalized. Um, at least in terms of being an exotic dancer, it's almost glamorized, I would say, where strippers are on the same lines of influencers. Every like, It's just so casual, like, oh, you're a stripper. Oh, cool, where? Oh, cool, do you know this person? Like, it, it's it's really liberal, liberal in that sense, which is something I love. Um, and it's also very, very intriguing in, in terms of uncovering the stories and motivations behind each profession. Um, again, it's just super, super fascinating. Um, I really believe that education is powerful and I would like to see more articles and platforms or people in power at least discussing its legitimacy. Um, the assumptions and stereotypes need to ultimately stop and I'm not sure how that's going to happen. It's just something that's so entrenched in our society and our media and it just honestly it's just so old and I'm, I'm pretty much over it but I think that really that whole stereotype you know like or the portrayal of a sex worker as abused. And again, I'm not discounting that, but these notions um, need to kind of, they're, they're not accurate, you know? Like they are in some situations, but they're not accurate for a lot of us. And in order to help clients that are sex workers, I feel like therapists and social workers need to treat like sex workers with a blank state and just like anyone else. So I, I got an interesting question too, like, oh, um, um, if a person is going to see a therapist or a social worker, what should they know ahead of time? But at the same time, like you, you want to treat them with the same non-judgment as you would with any other client. That's all we're asking for is a non-judgment and an acceptance of what we do is normal. It is just a job and it is real work. So that to me is really, really important. I really want to drive that point in and I really want you guys to understand that as well. So to me, that that is something I feel very, very, very strongly about. And again, just meeting the client with complete non-judgment and with empathy is something that is really, really important. Um, and along with my podcast, <laughs> destigmatization begins with education and providing that support. So some changes I'd like to see, um, again, a change in legislation would be great in order to really protect our sex workers. Reversing Bill 36 and FOSTA-SESTA would be great starts. So, <laughs> but again, I don't know, not sure when that's going to happen, if that's going to happen, but hopefully there can be some progressive strides to make that kind of change happen. That would be ideal. Um, again, as I said, eliminating the stigma of sex work, uh, sex work, stop shaming sex workers. I can't stress that enough. It's just like, and I came from that, so I know exactly what that feels like. So I, I feel like that needs to definitely be eliminated. Allow for more discussion and normalization of sex work in normal conversation, more classes uh, like this to be available in the mass media. And of course, um, we do need more sex educators in the field. So I don't hear much about this in Vancouver. So um, it's great that you guys have a, have a class on it. I think that's super awesome. I think that needs to be more available, um, more trauma counselors, more programs, more social workers. Uh, basically, we need more people like you. So <laughs> um, we need more awareness overall to bring normalization of sex work to the forefront. So. That is pretty much it. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> but I see there's like a lot of uh, little things up in the chat here. So I, I think we have some time for some questions. So hopefully that was okay for you guys in terms of the landscape there. So yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. It's my pleasure. Do you want me to read off the different questions, Steph, or do you want to go through what's I'm like easier for you? Kind of looking through all of this here. Okay, so I'll just go from, I guess, in chronological order here. So, um, from Ayla, uh, how do you learn how to pole dance? I've always wanted to learn that pole dancing classes are so expensive. Yes, I know. And they are so expensive. And that's why I waited till I was like well after university where I could actually afford classes. But basically, there's a studio, and there's lots of studio studios available. I know there's um, 
There's probably some in Tallahassee. I know there's lots in Miami that are available, but um, just start by taking a class. Um, I'm not sure if things are open right now, but a lot of classes are available online too. Um, although I would recommend going in person so you do have someone to spot you as well because safety is also really, really important. Um, it's a really great exercise. It's a super great workout too. Really works your core, upper body strength. Um, but most importantly, uh, for me, it really helped empower like the feminine part of myself and also the sensuality, which is something not I don't always get in touch with. And yes, even though I'm a stripper, sometimes the sensuality part is taken out. Sometimes I'm an autopilot as well too, but going to classes really gets me in touch with that as well. And it's also a very, very safe, non-judgmental place to be in as well. So it's something I would definitely highly, highly recommend. So um, definitely take classes. You could buy a pole at home. It's really easy to install. <laughs> um, highly recommend that. Um, <laughs> let me see here. Um, what differentiates an escort from a prostitute or a sugar baby? Yes, I definitely go into this in great detail in one of my episodes, but there is just some fine lines. There's not a huge difference between the three. So prostitution, as you know, selling sex, um, in exchange for money. Um, sometimes with, with escorts too, there's definitely like a lot of different sexual services and rates that are available. Um, in terms of escorting, sometimes it's just going on paid dates. There's different, again, different types of level of escorting. And again, with sugar babies, very, very similar as well. So, but most, all the time, it's very, very young, young women that are engaging in sugaring. So, Again, it's a mutually beneficial, mutually beneficial arrangement, which can be in the form of an allowance, can be in the form of a vacation, rent, um, anything that you negotiate in that. Sometimes sex isn't involved. There are like, there are sugar baby relationships where sexual service is not involved. A lot of the men on there sometimes just want companionship. They're really lonely. So it just depends on what you negotiate, but they are very similar. Um, in terms of um, escorting and, and prostituting and also sugar babying. So hopefully that answers your question. Um, yeah, Stripped by Sia is my stripped <laughs> past tense uh, by Sia is my podcast. Um, in, regor in regards to the influx, um, people coming online due to COVID, are there any official qualifications or certifications in place? Or has there ever been talk about establishing some form of regulations on who can and who can't be a sex worker either online or in person? That's a really great question. I love that. Um, there aren't any official qualifications. Any one of you guys can start <laughs> an OnlyFans account or start camming. It's available to you. Um, but there, I haven't heard of any any talks of, of regulations on who can or who can't. I think that would be really limiting and really restrictive. Um, it's not really something I personally would agree with because I think that anyone can be a sex worker. It's just, it can be infuriating for some because, and I didn't really go into detail during the talk, but I can definitely talk about it now, but a lot of sex workers um, have taken their work online. And again, with that, there's a lot of civilian girls or civilian women that have also started to start their OnlyFans account too, but they're also pricing everything at a very, very low cost, which is problematic because, hey, like my OnlyFans at $20 a month and then new people are coming in to $4 a month, $5, and they show everything. And there's nothing wrong with doing it that way. That's totally fine. But when you have a number of your, your clients being like, hey, like how much is a custom? And I'm like, hey, it's going to be this much for this much time. And they're like, oh, but this other girl only charged me $10 for a video of her masturbating. And it kind of devalues us a little bit that way. So um, that's where like a lot of the frustration, I think, and the anger comes from, because I've, I've spoken about this before, and also people that I also work with too are, are frustrated about this as well. And as I, as I mentioned earlier, feels like almost as if they're trespassing. But again, I, I wouldn't want to have any kind of regulations or restrictions on who can or who can or who cannot be a sex worker because anyone can be. So hopefully that answers your question there. 
Um, if this is too personal, feel free to skip it. We all have bad days where we don't feel pretty or don't like the way that we look. So when you have days like that, how does it affect your work? Good question. <laughs> um, are you able to set your work apart from when you feel insecure? Are you able to work your schedule where you aren't forced to work if you aren't in a good headspace? Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, for sure. Oh, gosh. Yeah, there's definitely days when you, you don't feel pretty. And even times of COVID, I'm making videos, making content. I gained like 10 pounds <laughs> and I'm not, I don't have the same body. I don't have a pole at home. So it, I don't have any like exercise equipment <laughs> really. So the struggle has been real and um, it, it can definitely affect my work in terms of demotivating myself, like demotivating me. And actually I haven't really filmed a lot of content lately. Lately I've been using a lot of older photos because I have not had that confidence in me because I have not been able to exercise. I'm not at the same caliber as I was before. I'm not at the same fitness level. So I definitely have those days at all. Um, not super often. I'm just trying to work with it. And everyone has their own way of coping through things, especially in regards to COVID. But um, <laughs> it can definitely affect the mindset for sure. And uh, for me, honestly, dancing helps me so much. Any kind of physical exercise you know, endorphins helps me a lot. So yeah. Um, are you able to set your work apart from when you feel insecure? Um, yeah, sometimes yes, yeah, sometimes no. Sometimes you just have to go through it. Um, are you able to work your schedule where you aren't forced to work if you're in a good headspace? Well, the good thing is about online work is that, hey, I'm just going to use an older photo from an older photo set or hey, I'm having a good day. I'm going to film a bunch of content and use that. So I definitely try not to force myself into work situations. I don't ever want to feel like I need to do this or like, oh my gosh, I, like I, I'm obligated to do this. I'm not obligated to do this. But of course, I want to be able to do this so I can get paid as well. So and in terms of um, when I'm at the club, I have definitely been in some situations like going through a past breakup and I'm like, I still have to go to work, you know? Um, that's hard when your mind is just not there. I actually ended up getting a pretty bad uh, knee injury and permanently bruising my knee um, because I was not in the right headspace. And I was like, I'm just good at dance. But obviously when you're heartbroken, your mind is somewhere else. So it's it can be really hard. But um, again, it's, it's almost like working in retail when you have to just like put on a happy face. I'm really great. I'm really happy. And like, putting on that front. So it, you just have to go through it. But I think everyone can kind of relate as even in normal like office job situations too. If you're not having a good day, maybe just take a walk outside or something, take a breather. Um, it, it's still relatable. So um, there was another question here. Um, you mentioned you did not know what sugar baby, did not know that sugar baby involves sex. What did that experience look like when you found out? Oh gosh, <laughs> I was a baby when I was on that site. It was um, really, really interesting. So basically when I had joined the site, I had also gone through another breakup too. My friend was like, hey, try joining the site. Um, and it was also around the same time when Tinder and stuff came out too. So I was like, oh, I don't, why should I date normal people around my age when I could date these older dudes and I could get paid for it? Like that was the mindset that I had. It was very, very just in the forefront and um it was really interesting I just remember signing up for the account getting bombarded with a whole bunch of messages I remember it was like a hundred messages that came in I was like wow this is the ego boost I didn't know that I needed <laughs> it was really really interesting um to me but then just of course going through the conversation um no one really explicitly saying that they want it in terms of sex or what kind of arrangement they that they wanted like it, it wasn't as explicit as it is nowadays um I feel like that the men were a lot more respectful back in the day I did go on the site recently in January just to check it out it's like what's changed but it was um it was a little bit of a shock and I had definitely slept with a couple men for for no pay back when when I started and it was like again I felt super dirty, ashamed of myself after, why am I doing this? Lots of thoughts running through my head, not valuing myself as a person, um, feeling worthless, basically, 
going through that and just really the, the overall feeling of being used and really hard for to, to really shake that off I would say in the beginning until I really learned how to maneuver and navigate the site um so that was definitely a, re a really big learning experience for me it was um yeah definitely not the the best part not the best time in my life for sure but um it was yeah as I said a learning experience um what is your opinion on minors age 16 17 participating in forms of sex work do you think that women able to consent in this line of work before they're legally an adult no I do not I really do not believe in that I feel you you're still a child like when I was 16 17 what was I even doing <laughs> getting slurpees at 7-eleven like just menial stuff and like you don't know what you're doing I'm not I'm thinking about boys I'm thinking about like what I'm gonna wear tomorrow and you know your your brain is not fully developed at that age and even even when I was engaging in sex work and I was already like what 23 or 24 when I first started sex work and that was considered as old in seeking arrangement like even I didn't know what I was doing and I don't know if that's just my own naivete but like it was it, it's it should not be allowed it really just should not be allowed I would really recommend if you are going to sex work doing it when you are older so you're consenting to it you know what you're getting yourself into you are doing the right taking the right strides and in, in order to protect yourself um it is it can be going down a rabbit hole basically and I think a lot of the times it, it's really glamorized um I just want to say a quick story because I know we're running out of time here soon but basically I was on a reality show that never actually came out but it was about sugar babies back in my in, in Vancouver actually and I remember when that came out I had so many DMs and messages be like oh my gosh how do you get started blah 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 I want to get person and I want to get this and blah 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 and people are just so enamored by the lifestyle aspect of it but again not knowing that there's work with it and the amount of filtering that you have to do the amount of background checks you have to do on these people you don't know these people they're strangers and I feel a lot of times people are just blinded by oh but I can buy this and this amount of money can afford me a vacation to here and that's all you see is dollar signs it is really 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 um worrisome to me because um people can smell the desperation online and you got to be careful there there are a lot of fake scammers out there too that um that are predatory on people that don't know what they're doing people that are young people that are new to the site as well so I definitely would not recommend any type of sex work really honestly unless you have the mental capacity <laughs> to really deal with this kind of stuff. So, and there's no age that really goes with that, but it's definitely nothing under the age of 20, not even under the age of 25, really. So, yeah, hopefully that answers the question. <laughs> so, yeah, hopefully, um, if there's any more questions, I think we have a couple minutes, but we might have to be wrapping up soon because I know it's almost 3 o'clock, or I think it is 3 o'clock over there in your time so <laughs> if if not does anybody have anything else yeah no so we totally have to take a picture for yes. social media right yes okay. absolutely okay let's, let's do that so you all are aware that we're going to take a picture but let me move the chat box and thank you again for the okay. opportunity all right <laughs> yeah are you ready i'm ready for the picture okay let's do it <laughs> Three, two, one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you Between again. Between the two of us, we got it. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. I really, really, really appreciate it. And I, I love that you mentioned the educational component, and that's how destigmatization is going to happen, yes. um, which is what I firmly believe in. And that's one reason I asked you to come on, also because I love your podcast. <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> and I knew, that, I knew that you would speak to the issues that, that I thought were relevant. And, um, and I wanted to say, too, that I appreciate your honesty with body image when you're talking about COVID and gaining 10 mm -hmm. pounds. And I think that um, there's a misconception um, that 
not everybody struggles with that. And it, mm-hmm. it was, um, uh, thank you for sharing. You're so welcome. Thank you. And if you guys have any more questions, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram yeah. or anything like that. So I'd be happy to answer all your questions as well. So I, I really hope that this was helpful. So <laughs> yeah, thank you so much, Steph. I really appreciate it. And we'll be in touch. Yes. Thanks again. Enjoy okay. the rest of your day, guys. Right. Thank you. You too. <laughs> Bye. by Sia, produced and hosted by Steph Sia, aka Kim Chi, music by Ted D, photography by Ian Dabber.